0: now let's pretend that we're just introducing ourselves hi sabrina oh wait no
1: what's the thing we do hi welcome to Sister untold we are your sisters and hosts sabrina and marva and in this podcast we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood
0: What did you say? Um, How's your life? Yeah, it's good. Um, I just booked a little tiny vacation to go to Wales. Um, So I'm very much looking forward to that. So that's why we're recording right now, which is like almost a week in advance of my episode coming out Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and exactly 17 minutes after I woke up (laughs) yeah good morning world yeah
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah that's me how about you
1: my life is exactly the same as last time because I have not left this like so many hundred square foot apartment (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh yeah you're quarantining
1: yeah try and be a good citizen protect my fellow people but yeah yesterday I just like laid on the couch and stared at the ceiling for like an hour I was like (laughs) (laughs) what's happening
0: well this is a perfect time to be doing all your research to for episodes
1: that's true that's true yeah (laughs) all right well (laughs) speaking of episodes (laughs) I think I'm really good at transitions. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm super excited for your episode because it's in our favorite time period. The 1700s. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, let's get into it. Tell me everything.
0: Well, actually, this is also perfect because yesterday here in the United Kingdom was the premiere of Harlots. Um, So Mm. it hasn't aired here before until today. So, or yesterday um so this so is so exciting fitting it's for our topic out. I know it's one of our favorite shows and if you've seen us talk about it on Instagram you know that and you will see why maybe when you listen to this story or not um <laughs> but so For this, I wanted to, you know how we usually do some kind of background, Uh, I wanted to do a background on the history of makeup, and this will seem strange now, but it will (laughs) all make sense at the very end of this
1: episode. I Uh, like that approach, like the history of a certain theme or topic, whatever, but not like a period.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, because I felt like we already talked about this period when Mm -hmm. we talked about the Skylar sisters. Yeah.
1: So we're going to start
0: off with. The US FDA, the Food and Drug Administration's definition of cosmetics, they say that cosmetics are anything that is rubbed, poured, sprinkled, sprayed on, introduced into, or otherwise applied to the human body for cleansing, beautifying, promoting attractiveness, or altering the appearance.
1: I'm just trying to picture like what you sprinkle on your body.
0: Glitter? I don't know.
1: I guess, um, yeah,
0: <laughs> but yeah, so basically, cosmetics are just like anything, because if it's cleansing, beautifying, altering mm-hmm. the appearance, like that is literally everything. yeah, but so um anthropologists believe that the first forms of face and or body paint would have been used as a form of protection from the elements or used mm. as camouflage. So 10 to 125,000 years ago, yes, I know that's a big range, people <laughs> who lived in South African caves used red orca to cover their skin. So this is kind of like a prehistoric cosmetic makeup use. And ancient Britons painted their faces blue with dye produced from plants to scare opposing tribes. Hmm. In antiquity makeup was an explosion of color it had to be carefully prepared from complex recipes which were often made from chalk manganese dioxide carbon lapis lazuli copper ore and red and yellow orca i don't know what any of those things are but there's something (laughs) lots
1: of elemental things
0: yeah so the ancient color palette would have been bright and vibrant like i said Shades would have been colors of red, green, black, yellow, blue, and white. So I'm going to kind of dig a little deeper into two colors, uh, which are red and white. And I got a lot of this information, like pretty much all of this information, from this book called Face Paint, The Story of Makeup. Um, It's super informative. So if anybody wants more information about the history of makeup, read that book. So red is probably one of the most popular colors of makeup around the world. In many, if not all cultures, red is associated with love, passion, youth, and health. And in many Eastern cultures, such as China, India, and Vietnam, red represents happiness. Um, It's also the color of blood and danger. And evolutionary psychologist Nancy Etkoff says that its appeal is biological. Red lips and cheeks mimic youth and nulliparity, which means not having given birth. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. Oh, wow.
1: I never knew there was a word for that.
0: Yes. And health. Red is also the longest wavelength of colors that humans can see, and so it Mm. stimulates a stronger subconscious response. Wow,
1: look at a scientist!
0: I know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) my (laughs) personal connection that I once saw on TV, um, like a documentary, I guess, or maybe it was the news that was talking about how if you are opening a restaurant, you should have your walls be more red than blue because red people will eat more in a room Mm. that's red because they'll feel more comfortable and relaxed and Mm. like, you know, warm feelings, whereas blue will make them feel like, ah, I don't want to eat. So that's kind of an example of the subconscious response that you get from red. Um, So red was made from red orca mixed with iron oxide or dead bugs, red lead, cinnabar, mercury sulfide, vegetable and plant extracts or berries and for the white white face paint or cosmetic projects from history have often been used to lighten skin tone along with other methods such as bloodletting um which again i'm not actually sure if that's true but it's like a kind of like rumor legend that women during the renaissance period would ask doctors to like put a leech behind their ear To like drain their blood to make them more pale.
1: I would literally not be surprised. They would bloodlet for literally any ailment. Yeah, and so I'm sure (laughs) they did it for cosmetic reasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure doctors were
1: happy to do it. Like they loved just leeching people. So, but I also feel like you could probably just like go for a
0: swim and get like leeches (laughs) and that be done. Do you not have to pay for anything? Oh my gosh. Um, So, many of these products around the world were made from the same lead-based ingredients, even from cultures that did not know about each other. And lightening one's skin has a lot of implications, I think, in our modern society and in, like, these ancient societies as well. But in
1: particular
0: especially in cultures that were like isolated from each other, like the same kind of products were often used in like ancient Greece and ancient China, even though they weren't really like interacting with each other, they still had this uh, preference for like the lighter skin. Um, So it's not necessarily just a race-based thing. It's also based on gender because Mm. women have less hemoglobin, which is what makes your blood red and less melanin than men. Mm. So their skin appears lighter often and so that having lighter skin is then associated with being more feminine and also like so this change in skin tone happens around puberty uh where women will appear lighter and women will appear lighter during ovulation than Mm -hmm. during infertile days of their cycle Mm. and as well um women's hair and skin are often permanently darker after their first pregnancy so having lighter skin it means like retaining youth but it's like also like in this weird place of like after puberty but before you've had your first child Mm -hmm. so that's like kind of like the sweet spot yeah
1: like evolutionarily yeah yeah that makes sense and i think also just in general like when you're a kid like when you're born, you're lighter because you haven't been like exposed to the sun, so it's like fundamentally like linked to, to youth. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, but I didn't know about the like hormone cycle thing affecting it too. That makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. that your like people's brains would be naturally attracted to them because they associate it with like fertility. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Wild.
0: Um. Also, kind of like t- go touching off what you were saying. Um. It's also tied to social status. Because mm-hmm. going back to even, like, ancient Greece and the poems of Homer Homer, and, like, the... Did you legends- just say Homer? <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, and, like, legends of, like, goddesses and stuff, they all had light skin. Mm. And they... Having light skin was also associated with the upper classes because upper class women spent more time indoors. So mm-hmm. they wouldn't be tanned from working outside. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so like I said, in a lot of places, skin lighteners were made from lead. And, but in China, however, white powder was also made from crushed pearls. And fancy. I China, know. China, China's only female ruler, Empress Wu zai who was from AD 625 to 705, took pearl powder internally and also applied it to her face because she was fancy. Dang. So... Now we have what is my favorite part. This is what I was like telling you about, but not telling you about Um, what I was really excited about. um, The connection between women and their status in society and makeup. So going back to ancient times, the freedom and rights of women in any period has a clear correlation with how much makeup they would wear. So the more Mm. oppressed women are, the more makeup is seen as unacceptable. An example Hmm. is ancient Egypt, women had comparatively a lot of rights and they were, you know, they could be like the queens and pharaohs and they could be landowners. In fact, 11% of landowners in ancient Egypt were women. Um, Nice, nice.
1: (laughs) Double digits.
0: (laughs) They could own businesses and they could take legal action against men. And during this time, makeup was widely accepted and often very experimental comparatively in ancient Greece women were extremely restricted and they had no rights and they were expected to stay at home and makeup was very frowned upon uh the exception was for courtesans and sex workers and professional mistresses where Mm -hmm. they wore a lot of makeup uh, but they also had more more rights so they were allowed to attend the symposia and they could control their own money
1: wow so interesting that they had like more rights than the married ones who are like married to like respectable
0: men wow men just hold us back (laughs) (laughs) um and then in 16th century europe bright makeup especially rouge was very popular and it was encouraged by royalty such as elizabeth i and the queen Mm Consort of france catherine de medici in england after elizabeth's rule though that would be going into the 1600s makeup was once Mm -hmm. again became taboo um, because you know powerful women went out of fashion and this is also the time that Oliver Cromwell came into power and he was like very puritanical mm-hmm. and in 1650 a motion was put forward to par- parliament uh, that was an act against the vice of painting wearing a black pa- Wearing black patches and immodest dress of women. Um, but luckily for everybody, that act was read once in Parliament and then dropped because it was ridiculous. Yeah, too much. Control. Yeah. In the 18th century, which is the century we're going to talk about today, um, a lot of makeup was popular again. And people liked really white faces, red cheeks and dark defined brows. And there it was like so extreme that there was no way that the intention was like to look natural, like the intention was to look mm. like I'm wearing makeup. And yeah. in French court it was popular for French aristocrats to I wrote aristocrats, um, <laughs> to do their makeup in front of an audience. And in England Oh wow. Yeah, in England and the United States, women wore makeup but it was not as dramatic. Mm. moving to the 19th century makeup was out of style again and like we talked about in the schuyler sisters episode so was women's freedom um (laughs) (laughs) makeup was now for the theater and people said that it signified if a woman had low morals if she wore makeup Mm. and during this time period of industrial revolution the mass production of makeup became possible the Mm. end of the victor of the end of Queen Victoria's reign, and the assassin to the throne of her son, who was friends with some of the most famous stage actresses of the day, meant that makeup came back in fashion. His wife, Queen Alexandria, was one of the first people during her husband's reign to openly wear face powder and rouge. She was also, mm. like, uh, a lot more out there than Victorian women were, like, she was known for like riding horses and hunting and being very active and Mm. this time period was also the time of the popularization of the bicycle which gave women more freedom Mm. and increasing Mm -hmm. campaigns for women's suffrage and the rise of the new woman feminist ideal which is like was an ideal woman who was educated and independent and so yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can say that there's any causation, but there's definitely a correlation between correlation, women's yeah. rights and freedom and makeup. Mm-hmm. So, now we're going to get into the story of our lovely ladies, who are Maria oh, Coventry good. and Kitty Fisher. So, Maria Coventry was born in 1733 with the last name Gunning in Hemingford Gray, which is in Cambridgeshire. Her parents were Colonel John Gunning and the Honorable Bridget Brooke. Um, Bridget was the daughter of the Viscount Theobald of Bro- Brooke, who was part of the Irish nobility. And John was a gambler and barrister, which is like a lawyer, um, who had he won his family home in Ireland called Castle Coote House. Uh, in a by gambling um wow yeah good job <laughs> yeah. They're
1: big, they're he home. had some big
0: wins and some big losses um I'm sure. so in 1741 the family moved back to ireland after john had had some financial troubles due to his gambling and they so they moved back to the house that he had won so they still lived in like a big house but they were just mm-hmm. poor um mm-hmm And it said that the water from the well behind the house gave his daughters their beauty. So that he and...
1: Something in the water. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he and Bridget had five children and I cannot for the life of me figure out like what exactly these children were. I know for sure that there's Maria and her sister Elizabeth and another sister Catherine. And then there's either two sons or potentially two more daughters and a son just everything says something different mm-hmm. I looked her up even on know. ancestry.com and it only had her and Elizabeth <laughs> so um but mm-hmm. there is pictures of Catherine so she's the one that I know for sure exists
1: mm-hmm. paintings
0: yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah paintings mm-hmm. Um yeah so they had their house in like the countryside and they also rented a house in Dublin so they split their time between there and the city. So when Maria and Elizabeth were of age their mother encouraged them to pursue a career on the stage to earn a living and hopefully meet a nice rich husband. And so this is probably around age 16 or so they moved to Dublin um Bridget and the daughters moved to Dublin Bridget was kind of like I've had enough With my husband and his gambling he's losing all our money mm-hmm. Let's go and become Stars in Dublin mm-hmm. So In Dublin she may have met A famous English actress Peg Woffington, who was an Actress and socialite and this was Kind of the lifestyle that Maria and Elizabeth and Probably their mom was Hoping that they would have But also, Mm -hmm. some sources say that Peg didn't arrive in Dublin until after Maria would have left. So, we don't actually know if they would have met or if she was just like inspired by her reputation. Um, Mm -hmm. Being an actress was a controversial career at the time because many of the actresses were also part time courtesans, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And But as an actress, they met Thomas Sheridan, who was an, a notable actor at the time. And in 1748, the sisters were invited to a ball held by the Viscountess Petersham. And Maria and Elizabeth, though, they were too poor. They didn't have a nice dress to wear to mm. the ball. So Thomas let them borrow two costumes from the theater. So they went to the ball in the costumes of Lady Macbeth and Aww. Julia oh <laughs> that's so cute <laughs> yeah and it definitely worked because at the ball in these costumes they met william stanhope who was the earl of harrington and the lord lieutenant of ireland and the lord lieutenant of ireland is like the chief governor of ireland who's like not employed but like employed kind of by the british government in service of the yeah. king. oh okay so Bridget the mom. She was very pleased by this new correction and she must have gotten along well with William because she convinced him to give her a pension, which so he would just give her wow. money like every year and she used that money to move the family back to England. So these what? girls are hustling.
1: I'm so, okay, this happened in the um, Mary Shelley, Claire Shelley yeah. episode too. Yeah, and the, someone is just like, oh yeah, I'll fund your life and your children's mm-hmm. lives. I'm like, okay, What's going on? Yeah, here? this is like a sugar jackie. But I'm like, what is like I don't understand. Yeah. I'm so
0: proud and jealous. I know. I feel like you'll see why, but like Maria and Elizabeth, they're like who I want to be in life. Um, so mm-hmm. like I said, like there's already like in Ireland uh stories about how beautiful Maria and Elizabeth were and then they dazzled at this ball in Ireland, in Dublin. and in England, their social life and like rising status continued, um, and they became very well known for their beauty and charms. their are they like acting at this point, or they're just being? They're socialized? just being like small level socialites. Like once they move back to okay. England, so they're going to kind of like yeah. local balls, and people are like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. Like let's tell all of our friends, and then everybody's just talking about them. <laughs> Why is it not? That? <laughs> I know. I'm going oh, I'm gonna start God. a rumor about my beauty. Yeah. Have you heard of
1: yeah. the Yates sisters? So beautiful. I'm gonna put
0: it on Twitter. Gonna make a <laughs> make a
1: bunch of anonymous social yeah. media accounts.
0: <laughs> okay. Anyways.
1: We really are the shallow, I hope everyone knows. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. okay. Okay.
0: Let's get back to the story before we embarrass ourselves even more. Okay. <laughs> So their beauty made them super famous, and they had this reputation, and their reputation went all the way to London, where they entered high society, and they were called the Gorgeous Gunnings, and they were often followed by mobs of fans.
1: <laughs> How much of this is exaggeration? It's not exaggeration. Like, we'll talk about it. It's your 18th century people were wilding, yeah. so I'm not surprised, <laughs> but I'm just like... What? <laughs> How beautiful can it be? I guess like Helen of Troy, like there was literally a war over her. Yeah. So there have been really pretty people in the past. Yeah. yeah. And there still are today. <laughs> <laughs> Forget us <I'm> not. <laughs> um,
0: okay. Mm. So anyways, on the 2nd of December, 1750, they were presented at the court of St. Saint ja- Saint James, which is just like the king's court at St. James's palace. So um, they had already been written about in the newspapers and stuff by this time, like just about, they were like, you know, kind of like celebrity, like Kardashian-esque type people. Um, And so just, this will give you a little bit of insight into Maria's personality. She was known for being like, either really dumb or either really witty, like, it's like up in the air <laughs> as to which one.
1: I've never related to anything so much. Um, oh my God.
0: So it was reported that when she met the king, it was like King George II, and he was fairly old at this time. He asked her what royal spectacle she would like to see, and she replied, a royal funeral
1: um oh oh my gosh
0: so she was known for being a little bit rough around the edges and she was new to polite (laughs) society but luckily for her King George found it funny and apparently he roared with laughter
1: oh my gosh and so yeah um wait can I give a quote really quick I love this quote and I've never been able to find it again but like a professor told me about it in college so it was like this 18th century writer who said that like um like satire or like satire or sarcasm or something should be like so sharp that you can cut a man's head off with it and you won't even notice that his head fell off yeah like it should be so like (laughs) Uh that's like what she did she just was like a royal funeral she doesn't realize he doesn't realize she's literally wishing him to be dead like (laughs) you know yeah so
0: yeah Um, So, within a year of moving to London, Elizabeth, Maria's younger sister, had dazzled enough that she married the Scottish Duke of Hamilton and was now a Duchess. Wow.
1: I literally, this whole time, I was, like, just waiting for them to be proven to be, like, naive. Because I was like, who's going to marry these poor Mm -hmm. girls who are, like, a gambler's daughter? Like, okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, two weeks later... Maria married George Coventry, who was the 6th Earl of Coventry. He thought she was beautiful. She thought he was rich. Um, you know, I don't know what much else they had in common. Can
1: I make it any more obvious? <laughs> yeah. um,
0: so, cracks started to emerge pretty soon, even during their honeymoon. They, uh, although Maria had been the belle of the ball in London, they went on their honeymoon to Paris and it became impossible to overlook some of the like defaults in her upbringing because she's, you know, hanging out with all of these noble and well-traveled and educated people. And she doesn't mm. speak French um, because she doesn't mm. have any education.
1: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: so this became something that she became really like self-conscious about. Um, mm. And in an, uh, this is what they say. And I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because, like, who knows? Who knows what her actual motivation was? I heard that she started to get more into the French style of makeup um, because she was feeling insecure about, like, not speaking French. And so she wanted to really, like, lean into
1: her, like, I'm a beautiful, charming person. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense to try to assimilate in different ways if you can't do it through language, like trying to, like, look the part. Like, yeah. when I go to France, like, I when I go anywhere, like, I try to, like, act like the people there, mm-hmm. because, like, I hate feeling like a tourist, and then, like, uh-huh. as soon as I open my mouth, obviously, they're going to know. <laughs> bonjour! Like, yeah, bonjour, je m'appelle <laughs> Sabrina. But, anyway, <laughs> um, I try to, like, look the part as much as I can, and, like, not draw attention to my Americanness, mm-hmm. because, like, I don't like feeling foreign, and so I can understand that. Yeah. Um, but so this, though, did not
0: go over well with her husband, because he seems to not really like all of the makeup as much. Mm-hmm. And this was a time period, like the makeup was big in France, and it was like becoming more popular in England. But so mm-hmm. there was like a little like story about she came to dinner, he had told her, like, I don't want you to wear as much makeup. Um, And she came to dinner. And she had makeup on, and there was like a dinner party, so there's lots of people there, and he like got up from the table and used a napkin to like wipe makeup off <gasps> her face. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um but so she still is a duchess. Or not a duchess, she's a countess. Mm. Um so yeah. And so she's have this like rags to riches story. She literally started from the bottom, now she's here. Um <laughs> and Things seemed to be going well, and that was until her husband met the other sister of our episode, Kitty Fisher. Mm. So, we are going to leave Maria there. I forgot there was this
1: whole time I was in you, those two biological sisters. No, they have a different sister. Okay,
0: yeah. So, Kitty or Catherine Fisher was born in London on June 1st, 1741, and her parents were John Henry Fisher and Anne Fisher. And I don't know anything about her parents, and there isn't that much information about her childhood or early life or family. Um, all that we know is that they weren't, like, wealthy people, they didn't have any titles or land, and it's possible that in her early teen years, she worked as a milliner, which is someone who makes hats. Mm-hmm. And this is potentially how she also made her way into London's high life. But being a milliner is not what Kitty is famous for. She was one of London's most high-profile courtesans. Okay. And so, what is a courtesan, you ask, Sabrina? <laughs> I uh, ask Martha. <laughs> in modern terms, it means basically a mistress, escort, sugar baby, concubine, or this is what they said: prostitute, with but with specific aims of attracting wealthy, powerful, and influential clients.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The term originally just meant someone who attends court, uh, but in the mm. Renaissance, the term went from being someone who attends court to meaning a well-educated, independent o- woman. Or someone, a woman who was trained well in dance or singing and was, Mm. this was especially associated with the upper classes who played, paid well for entertainment and companionship.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So Kitty was introduced uh, into society by Anthony George Martin, uh, but once in society, she used her beauty and wit to build up her reputation and become a well-known celebrity according Mm. to the memoirs of Admiral Keppel and another courtesan, Mrs. Wells, which Sabrina doesn't even sound familiar. Yeah, oh my (laughs) gosh. That's from um, Harlots. Yeah. Keppel said that he was the first one to keep her in a state of sumptuous affluence, but she soon moved on to richer men. Hmm. And yeah, so from going with all of these wealthy men and making a name for herself um she was also listed in the book that i mentioned in the schuyler sisters episode the harris's list of coming garden ladies um of and she was listed as being like inexpensive but like worth it oh my gosh person to go and visit for your pleasure mm-hmm. um and then so one of her first like big um not like scandals, but like one of the first times she was kind of in like the newspaper tabloidy kind of things was in the March of 1759. She was riding a horse in St. James Park and was thrown off of it and landed in a way that her skirts lifted up and exposed her. Mm. Um, One thing I saw said that she wasn't wearing any underwear. I didn't see that elsewhere. So I don't know. But either way, it was a a big embarrassment for her. Mm. And she called for a sedan chair to be Brought for her to take her home. <laughs> oh, my God. People did not let this in- incident go. Um, there were cartoons about it in the newspaper. Aww. And there were songs and pictures and pamphlets and entire books written about it. No. But, yeah. Oh, my
1: God. People, they don't, you're like starved for entertainment. You know, there's an enlightenment going on. Go read a book. <laughs> like, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> they were reading books, but they were reading The Juvenile Adventures of Miss Kitty. Fisher, but the way, so the way the title is written, it says that Juvenile Adventures of Miss Kitty F, like, dash, 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 R, mm-hmm. so it looks like it says something else.
1: Yeah, but that's but... also really common practice in mm-hmm. 18th century writing to, like, if you're calling someone out or making fun mm-hmm. of someone to say, like, Miss, M um, dash, 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 dash. Okay. This, yeah, is, like, more, it's insinuating something else, too. Mm-hmm. It's, like, a double entendre, but it was, like, in such a way that, like, everyone would know who they're who you're talking about. But, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, you're not directly, like, talking about them. Yeah. So it's, like, really common in, like, poems okay. from a time.
0: Yeah, I did yeah. not know that. Um, but so there were also two volumes, though, of this public. Oh, my
1: gosh. Uh. Um,
0: and this made Kitty very angry, but also gained her public sym- sympathy. Mm. And so... Basically, what started out as a public embarrassment ended up being a publicity gold mine.
1: Mm. All publicity is good publicity. Mm -hmm.
0: And so it was after this public moment where Kitty became a muse for the famous painter, Joshua Reynolds. And he painted many portraits of her. And in particular, he painted one where she... Well, actually, this is a print. So in particular, he made one print. That was her dressed as Cleopatra dissolving the pearl, which apparently is like a uh, something that people must have been able to relate to. Um, mm-hmm. But they sold like thousands of prints of these, and they were small enough that like men could like keep them in their wallet, basically, oh and my like, gosh. them around wherever. And so, some people consider her to be the first like pinup girl, glamour model. Yeah,
1: that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm.
0: That's so interesting. So Kitty's fame grew to not just England, but Europe as well. In a book by the person who is, I think, famous just for being trash, Casanova, he wrote about meeting Kitty while she was waiting to meet the Duke of York.
1: Didn't we go to an exhibit? about Casanova yeah
0: we did but I didn't know about him at the time but yeah, I was... didn't
1: either I just knew well I knew you knew who he was because he was 18th century so you thought I would like him but I like yeah word.
0: but um he this is a side story so one okay. of the people that we're gonna Give talk about in dirt. a minute she was in love with this guy and then she got pregnant and she was like friends with Casanova and she was like Casanova like I'm pregnant I know what to do and he was like oh I can help you he was like if you sleep with me like it will get rid of your pregnancy what yeah which obviously he knew that wasn't true and he wrote about it in his book because he didn't think he didn't see any problem with it
1: oh my gosh yeah so he's wow such trash
0: okay anyways (laughs) <laughs> um, so Casanova, he wrote about, yeah, when the, she was waiting for the Duke of York to take her to a ball. And he said that she had on over a 100 crowns worth of diamonds. And someone told him that he could seize the opportunity, like to tab her uh, for 10 guineas, but he didn't want to do so because she was charming, but she only spoke English but
1: such a snob (laughs) okay not everyone travels Europe like harassing women yeah sorry (laughs) Casanova
0: but also um I personally think
1: I like to imagine that she just
0: rejected him because there are reports that she did speak French and Mm -hmm. some people suggested that he was trying to link himself to her to like make himself more famous Mm -hmm. so again trash Mm
1: mm-hmm
0: just like, you know, she's wearing all these diamonds and that kind of stuff. Beauty and charm were now not the only things that Kitty had claims to fame for. She was also known for her extraordinary wealth. Hmm. In another story that was also noted by Casanova, she is said to have eaten a 100 pound banknote on a piece
1: of buttered bread. <laughs> boss moves oh my god yeah um
0: which so according to the british journal of 18th century studies this was a very defiant gesture banknotes represented two things one it was a payment not a gift and so she was like she wanted gifts she wanted like diamonds and jewels and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff she doesn't want to be like paid for her services and it's also not as is not as much of a reliable source of wealth as gold coins or jewels because a 100-pound note is kind of more just like an IOU.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So
0: by eating the bank note, this may have been her way of humiliating the gifter by showing it was not of value to her.
1: Mm. Wow.
0: So another interaction she had was with so this is guistiniana she's the friend of casanova that i was telling you about with the baby Mm, story and mm -hmm. everything um so she also was an author and she knew kitty and spent Mm. enough time with her that she wrote um she lives in the i'm
1: sorry but guistiniana if you're an author you should be decently smart i don't know why she fell for casanova's trick
0: i think she was like young at the time and she had like you know okay you know she had like was like Pregnant by her like unmarried or she was unmarried lover and she didn't know mm-hmm. what to do. The girl ends up becoming a countess, so she's not
1: that dumb. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she just wanted to sleep with Casanova. <laughs> she was like, that doesn't make sense, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's uh, like I can't get pregnant again. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I don't
0: know. Go, girl. You do you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so she. Gustiana wrote that ki, wrote about Kitty that she lives in the greatest possible splen- splendor. She spends twelve thousand pounds a year, and she is the first of her social class to employ liveried servants. She even has liveried mm. chase porters, so people mm. who carry around that little mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow!
0: And Gustiniana was also there for what is one of Kitty's most famous interactions. Kitties, clients and like lovers, they made up the ranks of the nobility from the Duke of York, uh, to someone who may sound familiar, Lord Coventry.
1: I knew it. So let me just find out. I just think it's like what's weird to me about courtesans and like especially in this period when like the upper class is such a small, tight knit community, is like everyone just knowing that they've like slept with the same person. Like, Mm that, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird to me.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I find it weird. But then, like, if you watch, like, I don't know, you haven't seen it, but like Made in Chelsea or something like that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's, you know, they dated everyone. Yeah. And like, they're like these rich, like Mm -hmm. people. And I'm just like, okay, I guess this doesn't bother you. I mean, I think it's weird, but what else? Mm -hmm. So this is the story that one day maria coventry ran into kitty in the park and this is what guistiniana said happened lady coventry asked kitty the name of the dressmaker who made her dress kitty mm. fisher answered that she had better ask lord coventry as he had <gasps> given her the dress <gasps> The also al- altercation continued with Lady Coventry calling her an impertinent woman and Fisher replying that she would have to accept this insult because Maria became her social superior on marrying Lord Coventry, but she was going to have to marry a lord herself just to be able to answer back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that meeting was basically the like pinnacle of their rivalry and... It was, you know, between two of the most famous sought after beauties of the time and having a rivalry over a man. So it was like, you know, the stuff of tabloid dreams. Mm -hmm. (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, Maria is said to have found herself a lover in the Duke of Grafton. uh, But this isn't for certain. Uh, But she and Lord Coventry had three children, a son and two daughters. Kitty eventually married in 1766, although he was not a lord, he was the son of a prestigious politician and military family, and she settled well into being the mistress of the house and was said to have been very generous to the poor.
1: Hmm, us go, Kitty.
0: Um, so, Maria and Kitty shared not only Maria's husband, but also a tragic and untimely end. Maria died at the age of 27 in 1760, oh. and Kitty died at the age of 25 in 1767. Both were due to lead poisoning from their makeup.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, early when you were like, lead was the most common ingredient in makeup. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm surprised that's like, okay. I guess yeah. It was not okay.
0: No, it wasn't.
1: Oh, um, my gosh. So, to Maria's- That's op- so young. I can't believe all of this
0: happened before they were like I 25. I know. Wow. So, to Maria's funeral, 10,000 people came. Um, Wow, my gosh. Yeah. So, Kitty and Maria's legacies are both secure due to them sitting both for several portraits. Kitty Mm -hmm. had at least seven done by Joshua Reynolds, and Maria has paintings hanging in galleries around the world. They may not have been friends, but their lives came to represent in my opinion, resilience and determination because, like, they were going to do whatever it took. And so many, like, articles and quotes I found both, like, contemporary to them and in our modern time reflected negatively on their use of makeup. One Mm. referred to Maria's death as a death by vanity. I knew they were going
1: to say that.
0: And contemporaries of Kitty uh, mocked her use of makeup, questioning if she was even pretty without it. So one quote, basically, that was a little like poem that was written about her during the time was, What means this strange infatuation that rages at the head of the nation? Is she alone the finest whore among at least a hundred score? Are there not fair on the town that walk the streets and take the crown?" So this was a little poem that was written Mm. about Kitty. I don't think it shines her in the... Yeah, it's not very nice. Yeah, Yeah. nice light. But just to end on a... So this is a short story, but one, I have like rants that can go on forever about like makeup and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think it's good that it gives us time to like kind of chat, but I just want to end with what was my favorite quote which is that when Kitty was trying to establish herself as a high-class courtesan, she was given this advice. Whilst good-natured girls rot in the hospital, the jilt rides in her coach. The first rule of action is to declare perpetual war against the whole sex. Love no man. But fleece and jilt them all as much and as often as you can. Wow. Wait, who said that? Um, It doesn't say. It just says that another woman told her that Uh, yeah oh I love that oh my
1: gosh (laughs) yeah because it's true women would be rotting in the hospital for anything you know like having childbirth that's dangerous Mm -hmm. or like hit quote unquote hysteria Mm -hmm. like if you marry someone you like give up your body like in this period Mm -hmm. most of the time if you marry a man you give up your body to their like control Mm -hmm. and like she uses her body To control men and their wallets all the time, and like Mm -hmm. I think that's so amazing, yeah, and so fascinating that like even as far back as like ancient Greece, like courtesans were the ones with like more power, Mm -hmm. and like and yet there's so like so much of a stigma against it now, at least. Um, Yeah, I think it's becoming more normalized. I heard them talking about sugar babies on the news the other day, which I've never Mm -hmm. heard before. But they mm-hmm. were doing it in kind of a critical way. And I was like, mind your business. Like, you guys are, like, on TV. Like, you don't need <laughs> you don't need a picture yeah. of, that, like, daddy or baby or anything. Mm-hmm. But some people just are out here trying to make a buck. Like, life is expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know. There's just people in our world are always, like, criticizing women for the things they do to get out of the situations we put them in. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, so frustrating.
0: Yeah, and I feel like even if you are in whatever your situation, if it's a fine situation, and that's how you, you know, want to, you know, if you're perfectly middle class, but you want mm-hmm. to like, you know, have new opportunities and like travel and like this, yeah, stuff that Maria like was able to do like mm-hmm. you know the reason she didn't speak French was because she didn't wasn't educated and probably normally wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to France. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that she's also like learning and gaining. And it's not just about like money and status Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, And they're meeting people who are like educated and they can have these mm -hmm. amazing conversations with them.
0: Yeah. And they're keeping up with these people. They're, you know, like these people are the ones that are saying that they're witty and like charming and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's more than just about education. Yeah. but, yeah, so I think, to me, their story is just, like, really entertaining and, like, mm-hmm. fun. And, like, they're both, like, I don't know, like, people that I'm, like, oh, I would be friends with them. But, like, they wouldn't be friends with me because I'm poor and ugly. Um, <laughs> but... no. <laughs> okay you could like say that a little more no Marva you're not poor or ugly (laughs) (laughs) anyways um but yeah I think that to me like the story of the makeup and how it relates to like women and their story of you know both of them coming from like nothing and like you know working their way up to being like in the top levels of society like you know being ladies and meeting the king and, like, you know, having books and stuff written about them, Mm -hmm. like, even though they weren't doing it in a way that people would have seen as respectable, you know, it is what worked, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just unfortunate that they had, like, such short lives. There was one other quote that I liked that this was from the book about the makeup history, which was... Alfred Gell, or Engel I don't know, uh, he said that new or modified skin is a new or modified personality, which I feel mm. like applies to these girls, like, in the transformation that they made from, you know, who they were born as and who they became, like, in life and in death, um, and they both were people who wore makeup, and again, it's not a causation, but it's a correlation. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I do think it's interesting like how much makeup was a factor in like how people thought about them and criticized Mm -hmm. them. And again, this is really common in 18th century poetry. Like Jonathan Swift wrote, he's the author of Gulliver's Travels. Mm -hmm. Travels. Like he wrote a lot about, a lot of poems about like women's makeup and like them being fake. Um, Mm -hmm. And he'll talk about these like patches that women would wear to cover up like pox scars. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I just feel like you would be judged for if you were showing your pox scars so like it's kind of like a necessity too mm-hmm. and so I don't know but it's just like so common for women of all social classes and all backgrounds to be like criticized by men for like wearing mm-hmm. makeup mm-hmm. but yeah I wish I- we had a- oh sorry
0: um no I was just gonna say like I don't know about if this may be also because I know that like for Maria for example, she so since the makeup she was wearing had lead, it eventually mm. like ruined her skin. So mm-hmm. then she had to wear like more makeup, yeah. like to cover up. You know, um, yeah, that's so and, sad. But so it was something that she felt like she had to do though, because you know if people are going to judge her for wearing makeup, they're also going to judge her for not having good skin. Yeah, um,
1: and We're so in the for not wearing makeup, I'm sure, like yeah, if it's like what's trending, yeah. But I do wish we just had more about other interaction. I hate that, like, the only interaction we've seen between them is, like, about a man, mm-hmm. kind of. And it shows, like, their wit and their personality, so it's still a good interaction. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: I just, like, wonder, like, I feel like if they, if Kitty hadn't been having an affair with Lord Coventry or Earl of Coventry, um, they seem like they would be friends. Like, they're both really witty. They're both, like, working their way from the bottom up, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I also don't know, like, how common it was for courtesans to have, like, female friends who are, like, higher higher Mm -hmm. class.
0: Well, I mean, Kitty, at least, was definitely friendly with the...
1: Gwistiniana.
0: Yeah, Mm Gwistiniana. So I think, like, you know, I don't think it's, like, necessarily that, like, oh, they were... They couldn't have gotten along, but you know there are. You're not going to be friends with everybody. And yeah, but I just,
1: it seems like they have like a lot in common with like their background yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I just want everyone to be friends, <laughs> stronger together. Yeah, um, yeah. But so I think that's mainly it. So we have a super exciting announcement. Um, we're doing. <laughs> We're doing a giveaway of Hallie Rubin holds the Harlot's handbook, Harris's List, which, as you'll remember from this episode, Marva talked about Harris's List. She also mentioned it in our Skylar Sisters episode. So it keeps coming up. So we figured you guys might as well know what it's all about. <laughs> so Her- uh, Harris's List was published in the 18th century, and it was an ex- essential accessory for any serious gentleman of pleasure. And Hallie Rubenhold has collected some of the most funny, rude, and surreal stories from this fascinating book and published them. So we want to share it with our listeners. And the way this giveaway is going to work is if you review our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, just leave a, ideally a five-star review and a little comment um, and take a screenshot of that and share it on social media and tag us at Sistery Untold then you will we will select a winner and that winner will receive a copy of this book so we hope you guys participate um definitely look up her books she has three on this topic and one of you will be the lucky recipient of the harlot's handbook Woohoo! <laughs> okay so i think that's all we have for you guys today
0: This This is is Sistery Awesome You sound so negative I don't I was literally smiling This is Sistery This is Sistery Okay 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 Bye Bye